from Michigan Radio. This is It's Just Politics. I'm Zoe Clark. This week, Democratic lawmakers delivered the third gun safety measure to Governor Whitmer, this time a so-called red flag law. It is way past time to get this situation under control. And we are finally, finally, finally actually taking some of those first steps. But several county commissioners throughout the state are declaring themselves Second Amendment sanctuaries. And at least one county sheriff has said he'll avoid enforcement of any red flag laws. That's it. I'm not talking anymore on this uh, particular issue. That's how I feel. Those are the issues that I have with this particular law. There's actually more, but you get the idea. Um, And that's why I feel it's unconstitutional. We're seizing somebody's property before there is a hearing. Also this week, President Biden announced he's running for a second term as president. As your president, I will defend our democracy with every fiber of my being, and I'm asking every American to join me. Can he win Michigan again? Our political roundtable is here to discuss. But first, let's talk about a new agenda item in Lansing. This week, a group of lawmakers announced legislation to include more protected classes in Michigan's hate crime law. Democrat Noah Arbit is a state representative for Michigan's 20th House District, and he's one of the bill's sponsors, and he joins us now. Representative, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. What is the law surrounding hate crimes in Michigan right now? So Michigan's current law is called the Ethnic Indemnation Statute. And, uh, you know, it's really interesting because it doesn't even mention ethnicity. So it goes to show you how shoddily the law was written. It was passed in 1988 and hasn't been amended even once in 35 years, which was seven years before I was born. So amidst this rise of hate crimes that we have seen in the state of Michigan, as well as across the country, it's really important that we are rising to meet that. Um, meet that challenge and ensure that Michigan is not just a, is a national le- leader on hate crimes prevention, intervention and response. And that is exactly what this legislation aims to achieve. Well, how would this package of bills change that? What would these measures now do? Sure. So uh, there's there's two main bills, the Michigan Hate Crime Act, as well as the Michigan Institutional Desecration Act. The Michigan Hate Crime Act overhauls the current ethnic intimidation statute, uh, replaces the verbiage with uh, hate crime, and then expands the classes to ensure to include uh, sexual orientation and gender identity, physical uh, and mental disability, uh, which we've seen rising uh, hate crimes against uh, uh, disabled individuals, um, as well as age, ethnicity and um, and uh, national origin. So uh, we're expanding the classes. We're also uh, updating the sentencing uh, a bit, uh, providing some alternative uh, sentencing and uh, building a, a conversation on restorative justice, um, uh, as well as uh, including a very critical language. Um, about um, association with uh, groups or individuals, because, you know, oftentimes you see individuals targeted uh, based on uh, assumptions that they are part of a certain group, but they are not. And I think this is just really important. Um, You know, this is why I ran for office. This is, you know, what I promised my community in West Bloomfield uh, that I was uh, going to work on. I represent the most Jewish district in the state. I'm also uh, gay and uh, the Jewish and LGBTQ communities, as well as uh, the black and Asian communities in this state and across the country um, have been particularly targeted um, in the rise of hate crimes that we have seen. And, um, you know, my colleagues, uh, Representative Christian Grant, the first black woman to represent the west side mm-hmm. of, of Michigan uh, in the House, as well as Representative Ranjeev Puri, who is Sikh American, representing Canton. Uh, they're both uh, co-sponsoring uh, this package uh, along side with me. And it's really important because we represent the broad spectrum uh, of communities that are most uh, uh, targeted uh, in rising hate crimes and most invested 
and uh, changing Michigan's laws to to meet it. Have you had any conversations with uh, Republicans, you know, on the other side of the aisle about whether or not if these make it, uh, you know, to the floor of both the House and Senate, if you might see some bipartisan votes? Well, I'll tell you this. Um, you know, uh, the f- the first thing that we had to do was uh, draft the legislation and and introduce it, um, which we uh, just did. You know, I've been working on this legislation since before uh, I was even elected, and working with the attorney general, um, who uh, has been amazing. And uh, you know, she is her entire career has been you know focused on uh, uh, hate and discrimination and countering that. Um, but you know, I I will move heaven and earth to make sure that these bills get uh, fifty six or more votes in the House and and twenty or more votes in the Senate. And I I welcome. Uh, Republican uh, support and and we'll move heaven and earth to make that happen because, you know, this is not um, uh, should not be a partisan issue. Um, You know, and I think I also want to just stipulate, you know, uh, you know, basic fact like hate crimes. The reason why hate crimes are carved out in Michigan law and in in other states as well um, is because hate hate crimes and hate violence is terroristic in nature. Um, There's never just one victim of a hate crime. An entire community uh, is victimized, too, because hate crimes tell um, and an individual and, and individuals who share a victim's uh, identity or community, people like you don't belong here. People like you aren't welcome here. And people like you will not be safe. Um, and it's really important that, you know, we're planning a stake in the ground and saying, you know, Michigan will not tolerate hate violence anywhere in this state. Um, and that's what this legislation uh, aims, to, aims to do. Representative, finally, you know, I know that there are federal hate crime laws. Explain how this is different um, and and why needed in the state if there's already federal laws that protect groups of people. Well, there's also, you know, federal laws that uh, criminalize uh, murder, right? We have uh, there's a reason, you know, we're in a federalist system. We have state laws and and federal laws, um, you know, and it's really important that uh, our state laws um, are, you know, are, are strong uh, on, on their own and can stand on their own two feet. Um, our, you know, the federal government uh, has uh, amended and, and expanded hate crime laws. Uh, Congress has uh, throughout the past two decades. Michigan has not done the same. Again, this, the Ethnic Intimidation Act was passed in 1988 and hasn't been amended even once. Um, our legal architecture just is so outdated uh, and, and ill-equipped to uh, to contend with the rise of hate crimes that we have seen and leaving our communities unprotected and unable uh, to seek justice and and, uh, accountability. Look, we all know we cannot write a bill that's going to get rid of anti-Semitism, anti-Black racism, anti-Asian racism, Islamophobia, transphobia, or homophobia. What we can do is improve Michigan's tools uh, to respond, pursue justice and accountability, um, and and ameliorate uh, hate violence in the state. And that's, that's what we're aiming to do. That's Democrat Noah Arbett. He is state representative for Michigan's 20th House District, one of the bill sponsors to expand legislation to include more protected classes in Michigan's hate crime law. Representative, thank you so much for your time. Sure. Thank you so much. Let's turn now to our political roundtable this Friday. John Selleck, CEO of Harbor Strategic, and Adrian Hemond of Grassroots Midwest, together, they make the political analysis team of baldly partisan. John's the Republican. Adrian the Dem. Hello, you two. Hello. How are you? And Rick Pluta, co-host of It's Just Politics, is here. Hi, Rick. Hello. 
So let's begin with the final passage in the legislature this week of so-called red flag bills. We've been talking a lot about this legislation and gun safety bills in general this month as they have passed both chambers. Rick headed to the governor next for her signature. Mm-hmm, right. And and she will, of course, you know, of course, sign them. And this is basically the last of the first wave of the first wave of gun restrictions that we're not uh, done talking about uh, firearm safety laws in, in Lansing. We're just done talking about them for right now. At the same time, there are several county commissions around the state that have voted to recognize themselves as Second Amendment sanctuaries, which isn't a real legal status, but it's a statement. And now we have at least one sheriff who has insinuated that he won't enforce a red flag law, which he says is unconstitutional. Here's a clip from Livingston County Sheriff Michael Murphy. We have never, ever been able to legislate our way out of a crisis. That's not how it works. You can make all the laws in the world and people are still going to do evil things. People are still going to do bad things. And I can't think of a time, and I know that a lot of people have pointed to MSU and and Oxford um, as reasons for the fact that this uh, red flags laws need to be in place. I'm not intimately de- uh, familiar with all the details in both of those cases, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say that had this been in effect, it probably would have not had an effect uh, on the outcome there. John, what does this tell you about where some conservatives are on the politics of gun safety? In the big picture, it tells us when we hear a lot about America being divided, we hear about red states and blue states, but it certainly doesn't stop there because it's made up of red counties in blue counties. And Livingston County is most definitely a red county. It's a county where even the most popular Democrats cannot get more than 40% or so of the vote. Uh, The other thing that we look at when we're looking at some of these counties is Sheriff Mike Murphy of Livingston County is on the forefront of talking about conservative issues in a way that didn't used to get talked about in law enforcement. Um, We see it on the progressive side more often right now, whereas the county next door in Washtenaw County couldn't be more blue, where their prosecutors announced several times which laws he will enforce and which ones he will not. Uh, Sheriff Murphy in the neighboring county is kind of doing the same thing, and it's pretty fascinating. They're right next door to each other, but they're so different. So on the law enforcement side, law enforcement has chosen many times to quietly choose to not enforce certain laws, not not, um, file uh, specific charges and crimes. It's now become politicized where uh, the progressives are announcing which laws they will and won't uh, handle, and the, so are the conservatives. We're seeing that now. And the way that this is going to play out actually is uh, probably tied to what Attorney General Dana Nessel said, is that the voters will make a decision whether that's the way they want it to go. But based on the way these counties vote overall, um, they're probably speaking to uh, or singing to the choir. Adrian? Yeah, I think this is um, really bad politics. Um from the commission and the sheriff in Livingston County in that, look, we, we have a, uh, 
some sort of mass shooting basically every day in America, right? Um, it'll happen again in Michigan in the not too distant future. Um, and at some point, um, you know, this is unfortunately going to happen, you know, somewhere relatively close to there. And there are going to be questions asked about why didn't you take this person's guns? Obviously, the Livingston County Sheriff's not the only one that is um, making pronouncements like this. We've seen stuff like this in other states, um, even in places like Florida, where Governor DeSantis signed a red flag law, where we've had sheriffs that said that they won't enforce it. Um, it's very dumb politics. It's also bad um, on, from a policy standpoint in that it's sort of inimical to the rule of law. You could say the thing, uh, same thing about selective enforcement of laws in you know, the neighboring county, Washtenaw, or in other places by more progressive prosecutors. Um, at a certain point, um, enforcement of the laws is your job. It's the job that you ran for. Um, and if you don't like the laws, you should run for the legislature. I yeah. agree with that too, Adrian. I work for uh, two attorneys general, uh, and that issue comes up a lot. But in the end, the, the public ex is expecting the laws on the books to get enforced. And so the, these pronouncements about um, the political views of which laws will be handled will therefore probably be handled by the voters in a political way in each election that comes after. Yeah, in some circles, there's sort of this this um, interest or calling for a, a, a cacophony of enforcement that, you know, it's, it's the laboratories of democracy argument that state governments vis-a-vis -vis federal governments get to try their own things and local governments vis-a-vis state governments will try their own things. And the democratic smaldy idea is that when something works, everyone will adopt it, which of course is not the way that it works at all. And when we look at you know, the follow up to, you know, the the uh, state legislature and presumably Governor Whitmer signing these red flag laws is going to be a, another wave of laws. And one of the things that the Democratic legislature is looking at, which is allowing local governments to opt out of the state's firearm regulation preemption law. Hmm. Meantime, in the final few minutes we have here, President Joe Biden announced his re-election bid this week. And speaking of Governor Gretchen Whitmer, she was named a co-chair of the campaign. Listen, people want leaders they can trust, who have integrity, who get things done. And I really think that the Biden administration has shown that that is the, the brand of, of Joe Biden, Kamala Harris ticket. It's what they have been delivering on. They focus down on culture wars, but solving problems. Um, they'll work with anybody to get things done. And I think that's something that is, is really important. We saw tremendous enthusiasm from 18 to 29 year old voters, historic high in this last election, an off cycle election. And so I do think that young voters are fired up. They're worried about climate, they're worried about guns, they're worried about individual rights and, and they're speaking with their votes. And so um, this president has got a body of work that he can show, he's delivered on, he lives his values and he makes a seat at the table for anyone. And that means independent minded or traditional Republicans who are looking at the state of the party right now and don't recognize it, I think are, are able to find a, a seat at the table with this administration and certainly will continue to get the message out and welcome everyone who actually wants to solve problems and protect American democracy. John Selleck, you have worked on presidential campaigns. What does this role mean exactly? Uh, it's a big deal. Sometimes it's a ceremonial pick. In this case, it clearly is not. We can just see from the way they interact um, and the way that she was almost uh, selected to be vice president that President Joe Biden 
thinks a lot of Governor Whitmer and he's smart. He can't do this job by himself. And clearly with the discussion about his age, most of America has their concerns. And so he is taking advantage of younger, energetic, ambitious, and connected uh, leading officials like Governor Whitmer uh, to send them around to be the surrogate, to be the one that goes to the Hollywood or the Dallas or the New York City fundraiser, the one that goes off to Washington to handle the Sunday news shows, um, the one that's making phone calls to make sure that Michigan is all buttoned up for the Democrats. So she's going to be incredibly busy, and it's going to help her pick up even more contacts and more networking skills to use when she may at some point run for national office herself. Well, to that point, I want to turn to you, Adrian, and that is my next question. I mean, how much of this is sort of as as John's uh, former boss, Bill Shute, used to say, is riding for the brand versus or, you know, the party versus Whitmer's own brand and and her future. I mean, she was, to John's point, all over national media, uh, speaking to MSNBC this week. But really, that's media also about her and the state of Michigan. I don't I don't think that you can separate the two. Right. Um, it, it You know, just if we're to play this hypothetical string out, if Governor Whitmer wants to have the Democratic nomination for president someday, Writing for the brand is exactly what she should do. So I don't think that you can disentangle those two things. I think they're the same thing. I, you know, I gotta, I gotta say, have Rick and Zoe and I, have we seen a presidential announcement for re-election be so underwhelming? Um, every campaign standard operating procedure puts out a video. In this case, President Biden's barely scratched the surface. It, it came in the twenty-four or forty-eight hour news, you know, hurricane that was caused by. Don Lemon and Tucker Carlson losing their jobs. And we hardly heard a thing about it. I thought that was a pretty interesting development on that front. Well, it was no surprise. And and there are just so many things that are unique about this presidential cycle, like, hey, why not? But circling back to, you know, the the Whitmer, you know, playing such a high profile role that it's not just on, you know, her own personal professional trajectory, but this star power that she brings to the political scene also has policy implications that she is one of the national spokespeople for abortion rights, for example, that, uh, you know, there are a lot of policy initiatives that she and progressives in the Democratic Party um, are interested in moving that having her on board helps make them a more, you know, make them more viable options. I could literally uh, speak to you three, four hours more. In fact, I think probably the four of us have in the past, but we will have to leave it there for now. That was Rick Pluta, co-host of It's Just Politics and senior capital correspondent for the Michigan Public Radio Network, John Selleck of Harbor Strategic and Adrian Hamond of Grassroots Midwest. Hey, you three, thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. And that is It's Just Politics for today. Find the It's Just Politics podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. I am Zoe Clark. Hey, hope you have a fabulous weekend. Let's talk again next week. <laughs>